right, all right. We will be in the book of Exodus. So I just want to welcome everybody tonight to the book of Exodus chapter 19 as we continue through our studies. Um, And I want to welcome everybody that's listening on the podcast as well. Um, In the last chapter, we saw how Moses had to learn to be teachable, right, in the moment, and that was exciting. It's good when the leaders... Uh, don't know it all, and they don't pretend that they know it all, right? And they learn what they don't know, but it served him well, right? So he learned to be uh, led well himself, which also in turn teaches the leaders beneath him to be shepherded as good as he's being shepherded. Uh, Just like a a point of um, uh, just leading, especially in the world of like, if you're talking about relationships or a boss, you can only lead as well as you're being led. And I thank the Lord that we have a good shepherd that's leading us. And so we are going to move into a new section where deliverance is going just to be the beginning. So we have seen, you know, God come into Egypt and he has sprung Israel out through all those different miracles, got them through the Red Sea. And now we're kind of in the situation of now what, right? We're in the now what situation. And um, I want you to look at this slide of this verse. This is Leviticus 9.2 and this is the now what. So speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, be holy because I, the Lord your God, am holy. That's the now what? Holy. We're going to be focusing on the preparation of holiness. I, I want to give you just kind of a, a little bit of an of a illustration, though, to touch on kind of where we are at, maybe as a modern church and understanding, because we have the benefit of so much that the people at this time in this history did not have, we have Jesus Christ. And Jesus Christ gives us unparalleled access to the throne room of God that these people did not have because they lived almost in terror, like terror of the Lord. Because if you remember, their exposure to the Lord was through Moses and then what he did to Egypt. And now we're like, okay, God, you led us into the desert, now what? And I want to give you like a little perspective of that. There's a guy named Joshua Bell. He's an amazing violinist. He was uh, kind of like a child prodigy. Um, I guess like before his uh, family even knew that he was, you know, going to be this virtuoso on the violin, he took rubber bands and just wrapped them around his room and made different, you know, like notes and strings and played it. And his parents came home and he was playing classical music on rubber bands that were like stretching from his dresser to his chair. And they're like, maybe we should put this guy in music lessons, and they would be right because he turned out to what we would call a genius. He's humble. He doesn't accept it, but he's a genius. But he uh, did an experiment with the, with the Washington Post newspaper where he went to a metro station, you know, in D.C. So there's all these people that are on their way to work, and uh, normally it's just a loud place to walk into the metro station because it's just hard concrete walls, you know, and there's marble in some places, but all everything is just echo, right? Just people hustling to work, phone calls. And here comes this guy that has played for, you know, the heads of nations, right? You know, he's just played around the world. People like seek to have him come play for them. And so he just showed up in regular clothes, got out of a taxi and just jumped in a corner and started playing. And uh, they asked him prior to it, like, what what do you think you'll make today? Like, you know, you're going to pop open your your violin case? And he goes, maybe $100, maybe. Um, But to, like, uh, maybe our chagrin for the people who do know him, people just stop by. And for the first 18 minutes, the only kind of, like, attention that he got, I think it was the first 18 minutes, was a guy stopped, looked at him, kept going. And then maybe about at, I think, the 32-minute mark, finally, somebody came over and put a couple pennies. 
couple pennies. What's fascinating to everybody that missed out on what blessing that they had in front of them is they weren't, one, prepared. So when they interviewed people afterwards, they said, why did you just walk by this guy? And they were like, well, I mean, I'm on the way doing something else. And like, did you know who it was? And they're like, no. And then when they told them, like, oh my goodness. And it's just kind of an amazing thing when you say to yourself, I may be missing what's right in front of me. Now, that's the modern church. That could be where we're at. So I just want to have that in your mind, in your, in your heart. This is a guy who two nights before was playing in Boston. And I think in the end, he only made $32 that day, which is kind of funny to me. Like, it's almost like something like 32 bucks. But the night before, the cheap seats where he was playing was $100. And that's the cheap seats, right? And so it could just be about what we're prepared for. Um, I want you to just join with me when we're talking about the preparation of what we're joining into with Israel in chapter 19. Look at verse 1. On the first day of the third month after the Israelites left Egypt, on that very day they came to the desert of Sinai. And after they set out from the Rephidim, they entered to the desert of Sinai, and Israel camped there in the desert in front of a mountain. So Sinai is a very important location in Israel's history and also in the connection of God to his people. Um, I just want to let you know that this is also the kind of area that Moses got his direction to go to Egypt. So in this area is where God met Moses and sent him, sent him, but remember, this was after 40 years of being in the desert. Keep that in the back of your mind. So he was sent to Egypt, and now Israel's coming back to the place of meeting. And there's just a few other interesting points. This was three months, almost like, so it's about 50 days, 60 days after they left Egypt, right? That now they're in this place. So just think about that. That's a long time when you consider this. God has delivered you. God is sending you to a specific place. But now what? Now what? And uh, I also want to remind you, too, that this particular area is where they would be till Numbers 10. That's kind of a wild thought, right? The next 11 months till Numbers 10 is where the Lord will announce himself. Let's look at that. Verse 3. And then Moses went up to God, and the Lord called to him from the mountain and said, This is what you are to say to the descendants of Jacob, and what you are to tell the people of Israel. You yourselves have seen what I did in Egypt. And how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. If you're the kind of person that likes to highlight or underline or do all the doodles that I do in a Bible, that's the part you want to do. Those last four words, brought you to myself. Sometimes we can see what deliverance is for. Maybe we think God is just in the business of saving us from things. But we don't realize that this, the real purpose, God does everything. Even if you remember when we talked about miracles on the weekend and the purpose behind miracles, God does everything with a purpose. If you want to go back and you're interested in pasta, that was the lasagna service. There are layers to everything that God does. And if you're a dessert person, maybe tiramisu. There is layers to what God wants to do. And, and God is not... Um, just saving the people because they're his people. Like he has like a, like these are my people, like this genetic, right? Or um, they carry my banner, so I got to kind of throw them a bone every now and then. There is a reason why. And look at that, how I carried you on eagle's wings and brought you to myself. There's a purpose why that, and it's, it's, it's really not complicated. God brought Israel out of Egypt to continue the ministry that he started in Abraham. But that got started because that was the ministry he started with Adam. So there is nothing different than God wanting to be with his people and preparing his people for that time to be together. And so I want you to see uh, this slide. This is a simple tenet of Christianity. We can sometimes think that God works in a vacuum, but he does not. God first will deliver you from, 
but we have to understand what is he delivering you to. He doesn't just work in a complete vacuum without grace. It looks like this. He raises you from death to life, right? Or if you're, if you're in a helpless situation, he doesn't just like lift you up and then leave you. He brings you out of helplessness to hopefulness. Hopefulness for the rest of your life. Or if you think about this, if he lifts you out of sin, he sends you into righteousness. It's not of a void. You know exactly what you're doing. You are repenting, and the word repentance is a 180 turn. The repentance isn't going, I'm not going to return to the sin anymore. It's 180 to go what? In a new direction, a new life. The old me is back here. The new me is charging on, right? So God always pours with preparation. So I would just have to ask you this. What is God preparing his church for today? Where is he sending us? This is, this, you, you can shout out if you have an answer. Where is he sending the church? Where is our direction? Huh? To himself. Somebody who just read the verse. He brought him to himself. But where is God? Where is he? In heaven. So we are being prepared for heaven. We are not just being uh, exodus out of this earth to go nowhere. We're being exodus to go to heaven. But what is heaven? But just the place that is in the eternal presence of God. And here's the question. Are you ready for heaven in your current state? Maybe in the righteousness of God, but I would have to say this. I think if we're still here, God's still preparing us. And so before God would bring them out of Egypt, he didn't just rush them VIP access, lightning lane, you know, just like if you go, oh, I only have two items. I'm going to go into the fast lane at the grocery store. No, he is bringing you to heaven. But in the meantime, there's a wilderness experience. And he's got to strip off what is unnecessary for heaven and put in you what is the appetite for heaven. Think about this. We are going to be in heaven forever. So do you have that stamina? Do you have that appetite for all things that are eternal? I would let you know, um, many of pastors before me who are way older than me, I remember this one time, I, I, I was 23 years old, and um, I went to a, a pastor's conference. Um, I wasn't a pastor, I snuck in. I just want to let you know. I snuck in, I, I took somebody else's ticket, but I was not a pastor. I remember this 73-year-old guy that I totally looked up to, and I, the question came up, and I was sitting right near him because I was asking where he was going to have lunch, and then somebody came up and asked a real serious question, like, have you arrived? And he's like, I'm 73, and I'm nowhere near arriving. And that just always stuck in me. Like, this is this guy. He's practically a rock star in the world of theology, right? That, that counterintuitive. But it's just like this guy, I looked at him, and he goes, I'm 73 years old. I've written countless books. I've forgotten more about Christianity than you'll even know, Joey, and I have not arrived because he's being prepared. Now, what is he... What is he pulling us out and what is he pushing us into? Look at the meantime preparation, verse five is. It says, now if you obey me fully, I'm gonna read that one more time. God, now that I'm saved, what do you want me to do with my life? Now if you obey me fully, fully being the word, and keep my covenant, which is the agreement between you and I, then out of all nations you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the Israelites. So what did he deliver them from? He's delivering them from slavery. He's delivering them from bondage in the world. He's delivering them from maybe even being devalued in the world to royalty. Whose royalty? His royalty. And I just want to think about that should help you judge what you're doing. Is this worthy of the royalty of God? What I'm about to do, if you ever have a question or a concern, like, is this a gray area of Christianity? Would this bring honor to God? Yes or no? That's your answer right there. Because just think about this. When the king owns everything in a kingdom, right? 
And that's basically, Jackie and I watch a lot of period pieces, and we love when the king comes out, and he's just like, mm, I let you live here. You know, and you're like, the guy's like, I fought for this land, this is my land. He's like, mm, I let you have your house, you know, because he's the king. Everything within his, his domain is his dominion. But just think about this. He doesn't probably think of all of his possessions, but what does God say to you? You are my treasured possession. So what does God have to do to move you from a place of before you were saved, now you were saved, to his treasured possession? That's what he's preparing you for. So if you have parts of your life that you are ashamed of and you have guilt for and you want to bring them to God, you already know from that moment right there that that may be the area that God is preparing you to move you to the next level to say, I don't want you to have shame. I don't want you to have guilt. I already bore that on the cross. I want to remove that so that you can now move and operate in the way that says this, you are my treasured possession. Does that change the way you pray? Another thing about like, God, I know you're kind of busy. I know you may be working on better people than me. I know you love Pastor Ryan, so I know you're probably spending <laughs> a lot of time on him. But, but if he was a but Joey, you are my treasured possession. Does that change how you pray? Does that change how you move with him? And that's kind of an amazing thing because you have to understand up until this point, what made the Jews special? Bible's explicitly clear throughout the whole Bible, Nothing. Nothing they did, nothing about who they are made them special other than God. So just understand that when the world crushes you, the world doesn't value you. When God comes and says, I will die for you and pay the penance and put my son on the cross to absorb the wrath because you are so valued, you are my treasured possession, I want to move you to my house. I want to move you to eternity. It's because he loves you. But not until you understand this, it's but God. And so you think about this. This is a very interesting phrase because it was through Aaron that he said, I was going to raise up the line of priests, right? This almost seems counterintuitive. From, the, from Aaron, I want you to pluck up Aaron and him and his sons will become the line of priests that will serve Israel. But then now God's going on to say, but I want to make you a nation of priests. There is nothing special about a pastor up here. We are all broken sinners just like you. My only responsibility is I have to own this space and teach the truth of God for the time that he gives me. The only thing that makes me special is the same thing that makes you special. It's God. And that's the function of the priest. The function of the priest is to go before the Lord on behalf of God. Now I'll just tell you this. Can any of you do that? You can. Absolutely you can. Um, if I need to pray for my wife, Jackie, I can go to God on her behalf. If she's sick, she had a sore throat last week, you best believe. I'm like, Lord, send her voice back because the kids only listen to her around bedtime. <laughs> That's an important task. And I need you, Lord, to treat her like your special possession so get her voice back. So, but as, as the role in the house, that's a priestly move, isn't it? Can we pray for this nation? Can you pray for your boss? Most of you pray for your boss daily after maybe other things, right? You know what I'm saying? This is the function of the priest. That's why I want you to look at this. First Peter 2, 4 and 5, he would echo this. He says, As I come to you, the living stone, rejected by humans, but chosen by God and precious to him, you also, like living stones, are built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, offering spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God, through Jesus Christ. So this is the place you are. If you are offering special spiritual sacrifices, are you a priest? Absolutely. I make you a royal priesthood. I make you a holy nation. This is our form of true worship. So you're going to ask the question, what is, what's a spiritual sacrifice that we can offer today? Well, that's really, really easy because you can say this, I can offer myself. Yeah, Romans 12.1. 
I can offer myself as a spiritual sacrifice, and this is actually my true form of worship. Just think about that. That's what is acceptable to God, and that's what he's receiving from you as the holy nation. And so I just want to put this in your mind. How does he move you from slave to royalty but by this? And I want you to look at this word, this word holy. Holy is the word. You have to define this word holy. God, does, God makes you righteous, which only just means you are in right standing with God. So if you sin and you ask for forgiveness, guess what? You are now righteous because you received the blood of Jesus Christ. He wiped away your, your sin. Your heart is white as snow, and now you're in right standing. So you could sin, you could fail, and then get back in right standing. That's righteous. But how does God make you holy? He has to make you set apart. And, you know, that's actually what the definition um, of the, what the priest do is set apart, dedicated to the work of the Lord. That's it dedicated to the work of the Lord. Now, does that mean that you have to become a monk and move to a monastery? No, it means you're dedicated to the work of the Lord where he has you. I'll give you this case in point. Husbands are to be the high priest of their house. Does that have some special privileges? No, that comes with a whole heck of a lot of responsibility because you are set apart to lead your house back to the Lord. And when they lose their minds, your only job is to go back to the Lord and intercede for them. I'll give you the case in point. Job, my family won't go to church, but I will burn sacrifices for them. Job's first family was out partying, but what did Job do? Intercede for his family because he took the office and the role of high priest because he understood that that was a holy position. And so he was like, I have been set apart as a husband, as a father, and I am dedicated to the work of leading my family to God. And that's what it means for, for to be holy, is just to be of God's use. And so you have to ask your question every part of your life, not just your life in general, but every part of your life, every, every facet of your life. And I know this can sound very legalistic, or it can sound very like, but Joey, you know, sometimes. You know, I like to go play basketball or shuffleboard. No, it doesn't mean you're not holy because you're not doing something awesome with God. It's, is your whole person, is your soul, is your life dedicated to the Lord? Does it give glory to God? And if it isn't, that's the area in your life where God needs to get you from point A to point B. That's called preparation. The area that God has not done, lifting your life up higher and higher and higher on the way to heaven is the preparatory place where he is making you holy. So if you are looking around the room and you're like, well, that person's so holy, I'll never be that holy, that's just because 2 Corinthians, I think it's 2 Corinthians 3.18, he's moving you from one degree of glory to the next degree of glory. If you're a Christian white belt, don't lose, don't, don't, don't lose hope because you see the black belts walking here. You will be a black belt. And the only person that's going to get you from point A to B is God. We're going to talk about your ownership but it is God. I want you to see that this has been God's plan from the beginning. If you could put this slide up, this is interesting. Exodus 19.6, where we're at, he's making a kingdom of priests. Moving into the New Testament, uh, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, right? First Peter uh, 2.9, right? We, we know that verse. But look at this next one, Revelations 1.6. And has made us to be a kingdom and priests to serve his God and Father. That is the plan of in Adam's time, that was the plan. In Moses' time, that was the plan. In Peter's time, that's the plan. In your time, and when you get to heaven, that's the plan. What, so what now, Lord? I'm making you into a kingdom priest. I'm making you into a royal priesthood. That's what I'm doing. So the short view of Christians can always be because we have this very open covenant. And you have to understand, these are a people that are not as well acquainted with God like you and I are. 
You remember the moment that Jesus Christ died, the veil that separated them from God's holiness was torn. Why? Because Jesus Christ became your righteousness and then his holiness became your holiness when you became set apart and then he moved you forward into the access of the throne. And why? Because Jesus Christ became your high priest. So if God is your high priest, do you have access to God? Absolutely. Now the question is, now what? Let's continue. Verse 7. So Moses went back and summoned the elders of the people and set before them all the words, and the Lord had commanded him to speak. The people all responded together, we will do everything the Lord has said. Wouldn't that be awesome if that's how the movie ended? <laughs> so Moses brought their answer back to the Lord. You know, um, I don't know if you guys have ever had, I'm, I'm, I don't normally come out with negative comments like this, but if you've ever seen uh, Ridley Scott's Exodus, Gods and Kings, it, they spend literally like, I think like 140 minutes, I don't know, I'm making that number up, like most of the movie on just getting them out of Egypt. And then they spend six minutes on this part. But the Bible only spends a couple of chapters on Pharaoh and that, and then it spends up to Numbers 10 on getting right with the Lord. And so I find that fascinating that their response early on is, man, we'll do whatever you want, Lord. That's so great. Little do we know, chapter 24, I think it is, is that they build a golden calf. Does God know they will build a golden calf? Yet does he still keep instructing, instructing them and guiding them and showing them the way? Of course he does, because that shows you how committed God is to you. That's how committed God is through your failures, through your rebellion, through your unbelief. God is standing there. I just always think of it like a major league pitcher. You know, like you think of like the World Series. I mean, there's noise, there's cameras flashing, there's all this everything going on, and that major league pitcher is just looking at that catcher. And the world doesn't even almost exist. It's just the task. And I picture all this noise that I bring to the relationship with God. But God, you know, but I... I if you would just see it my way, Lord. And he's like, that's silly. You know, like, I'm not, I'm not listening to that. But Lord, have you seen how heavy my situation is? Like, I have a task. And I just want to bring this to your attention. How many times have I brought this to the Lord? You know, but my finances are what the real problem is. And the Lord's like, I have a task. You are my task to prepare you for heaven. Yeah, but my sickness is my task, Lord. And he's like, no, 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 I have a job. And my job is to prepare you for heaven. Yeah, but God, I have a job. And he stares you down and you looks at me and I go, I'll do whatever you say, Lord. And then 10 minutes later, I'm building a golden calf. And I go, but I did it again, Lord. And he's like, I know, I have a job. <laughs> That's the definition of commitment. That's the definition of focus. And But what does he focus on? My heart, because he loves it. And now you can understand, I will tell you this, if you ever want to understand the motivation of love, that's the motivation of love, right? Look at verse 9. The Lord said, I'm going to come to you in a dense cloud so that the people will hear me speaking with you and will always put their trust in you. And then Moses told the Lord what the people had said. And I find this fascinating because remember, God is clearly stating what's about to happen. The same God that blew away Egypt and the same God that protected you at the Red Sea and all the Red Sea, that God's about to meet with you. And he's telling them, just be prepared because I'm going to come in a dense cloud because you can't even look at me. I'm so holy. I'm so, my, my presence will blow you away, but I don't want you to be too blown away because 
even me just showing up in a dense cloud is going to blow you away. And they're still not ready. Look at verse 10. And the Lord said to Moses, go to the people and consecrate them uh, today and tomorrow and have them wash their clothes and be ready by the third day. Because on that day, the Lord will come down on Mount Sinai in the sight of all the people. And so I just want to let you know there's a few things here that we can unpack that you might miss. The whole reason of cleaning the clothes is not just because they have been in the desert and they maybe smell bad or maybe they haven't had a chance, but I want you to think about this moment. God is asking them to take a beat. Where are they at? The desert. Where are you going to find water? You mean my drinking water? Yeah, your drinking water. I don't know where you got water, but I need you to clean. That takes a moment of reflection. He's actually giving them three days to prepare for his presence. And I have to say, many a time, I understand that the Lord doesn't answer my prayers right away because I'm not prepared. Maybe I'm not even prepared to listen. Maybe it'd be a waste of his time if he told me what he needed to tell me, and I was like, yeah, but that's not it. Because you're not in the right place to hear me. What he's telling them right now is, I'm about to do a new thing in your life. And I'm about to do it in a new way. I need you to stop. I need you to wash your clothes. I need you to step back from everything you think you need. Like, you think you need water. No, I am your living water. I think, I think you need to stop, put on new clothes, be prepared. I need you to stop and reflect on what I'm about to do and who I am. Really what he's asking them to do is rethink everything. And that might seem like it's lost tonight, but I want you to think about communion. What is it we do right before we take communion? We stop and we pause and we think. And we reflect on all the good things God has done. And he's asking them in this moment, stop. Let go of what you got in your hands right now and reflect on what's about to happen. Something bigger is about to happen than what your next need is. God is showing up. Look at verse 12. Put limits for the people around the mountain and tell them, be careful that you do not approach the mountain or touch foot of it. Whoever touches the mountain is to be put to death. They are to be stoned or shot with arrows. Not a hand is to be laid on them. No person or animal shall be permitted to live. Only when the ram's horn sounds a long blast way, a long blast may they approach the mountain. And so there's two things God is saying here. Number one, I need you to understand how unapproachable I am. What you are reading is the setup for Jesus Christ, not the setup for the, for the Pentateuch and Moses. I am unapproachable. You have not been prepared. You have not been prepared. I, I know my revelation class um, that we talk about, I say this all the time, when I go into the high school and the middle school and I ask the atheist kids, if God was real and the door of heaven, the throne room of heaven were to open up and you were to walk in today, because atheist kids love to ask this question, who is this God that you talk about? And you were to walk in that room and you were to meet God for the first time, what would happen? Their immediate response with no Christian background, no church time, is I would die. And I say, why do you say that? Because I'm not ready. It's been written on the hearts of every person. God is unapproachable. Thank the Lord we have Jesus Christ. So this is a very uh, terrifying moment. It's a terrifying moment because the same God that would put down Pharaoh for his insurrection could easily be the Jews, couldn't it not? How much grumbling have they done for this? And that's why I say we have to be careful about our casual and flippant way. Sometimes we approach our prayer life. Maybe it might be good for us to take a moment and prepare our hearts and our minds before we even enter into prayer. Maybe it'd be good to take a beat and just get reflecting, God, I'm about to go into your church, into your sanctuary where you said if two or more are gathered, you'll be in their midst. Maybe I need to be prepared for the words, the treasures of heaven to flow from you to me because I'm looking for a good word. 
And maybe it's time for us to calibrate that. I want you to see how unapproachable God was throughout the Bible. It says in 1 Timothy 6.16, he lives in unapproachable light. That's not even God. That's his light. I want you to understand what Timothy is saying. His light alone blows you away, let alone his gaze. So that means if he's not even looking at you, just being in his presence, his light is unapproachable. Hebrews 12, 29 would say, God is a consuming fire. And then Hebrews 10, 31 would say this, how dreadful of a thing it is to fall into the hands of the living God. That's talking about as an enemy. And the Bible calls all of us enemies uh, appointed to wrath from our sin because of our fall. But thank the Lord that we have Jesus Christ who in 1 Corinthians 3.16 would say this through, uh, you know, through the letters written by Paul, don't you know that you yourselves are a temple and that God's spirit dwells in your midst? I want you to think about the God that the Israelites were afraid of that was in the temple or that's on the Mount Sinai is the same God that was like, I want to send Jesus Christ to remove any obstacles between me, you, and your heart. And if that's your sin, and if that's you, then I will break that down so that I could come and live inside of you. To a Jew, that would be frightening. If you, if you ever have seen any movies where they touch the Ark of the Covenant, right? I mean, it's just like the most frightening scene. And then you were to take that Jewish kind of thought and go, that God wants to live in you. You would be like, I'm not ready. But Jesus makes us ready. Look at verse 14. After Moses had gone down to the mountain to the people, he consecrated them, and they washed their clothes. And then he said to the people, prepare yourselves for the third day. Abstain from sexual relations. And I just want to point out in uh, this room at this time, some people always argue the fact is fasting just food. Well, this is proof. Fasting could be anything. You know, uh, the Lord is saying remove uh, sexual uh, relations just because I want you to spend three days thinking about me. Um, I think it's, you know, eventually would say in the New Testament, it's like, you can take a time of fasting from sex, but then eventually break it. Because one of you two is going to start nudging the other and be like, hey, let's break that fast. You know, like, it's enough prayer. Let's go. But the Lord would say that you could even fast that. But once again, it's just to bring everything that's in the flesh under control of the Lord. Look at verse 16. And on the morning of the third day, there was a thunder and a lightning with a thick cloud over the mountain. Did God not say this was going to happen? And a very loud trumpet blast, and everyone in the camp trembled. And then I just want you to think about this. This is kind of crazy because um, what would this be like for you? What would this be like for you? Scary, right? I mean, thank you for saying that. This would be scary. It can be very easy for us to say, but because we have the boldness of the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we'll be okay. Um, But I would let you know right now, if the Lord showed up with thunder and lightning and then he started playing the trumpet really loud. I would let you know, I would probably have that pause that we have before communion right then and there. Okay, let's think about the last thing that I need to get rid of in my heart and prepare for this moment. I mean, doesn't that, doesn't that already challenge you? That's the area, that place, because I did this. I was sitting in my office at home and I was saying, my there's a couple things I would probably take care of. That's the place of preparation. That's the place where you tremble is the place that you need to be prepared. Look at verse 17. And then Moses led the people out of the camp to meet with God, and they stood at the foot of the mountain. And Mount Sinai was covered with smoke because the Lord descended on it. And the smoke billowed up from it, the, from it like smoke from a furnace, and the whole mountain trembled violently. So the people are trembling. The earth is trembling. Has anyone ever been in an earthquake? Yeah. Floridians don't really know what that's all about. We know hurricanes, but if you've ever even saw it, it's like 
For, so first, their legs are turning to jelly. Now the ground is turning to jelly. Um, I've, if that doesn't frighten you, I don't know what. But that's just crazy. But then look at verse 19. God doubles down. Look at this. As the sound of the trumpet grew louder and louder. Just think about that. God was like, oh, and I'm not done. Turn that up to 11. You know, like, just like, I'm going to hurt. I'm really driving nuts. And it's like, that's already beating in my heart. And I'm not even there. Look, Moses spoke and the voice of God answered him. What an amazing moment. The Lord descended to the top of the mountain of Mount Sinai and called Moses to the top of the mountain. So Moses went up and the Lord said to him, go down and warn the people that they do not force their way through to see the Lord and many of them perish. So once again, this is a second warning, kind of a lot of warnings, right? It's like we're already like, I don't know. You put a rope. Actually, just, I didn't touch on this, but they, I found out that the, the call of putting a border around the mountain, they actually put a rope around there like a don't let anybody go, even animals go. And you go, well, that seems kind of crazy because doesn't this scare you? Like who would want to go there? But just want to let you know, part of the reason they would build a golden calf is because they needed something that they could hold on to to say, at least I can understand this or go on this. There's a call to say that if an animal accidentally walked up on that mountain and walked down, that they would have made that God because Moses didn't come back in time, right? Because of the delay of Moses. Moses is not meeting my needs. I build a golden calf. Well, well, what if somebody's goat walked up there? Grab that goat. He's been up on the mountain. He knows something. I mean, this is how wild the situation is, but it shows you how desperate their hearts are. And you can see why God's going, I need you to get your eyes off what is wrong and what is impulsive, and I need to get you on your eyes on what is the truth. You are unholy. I need to make you holy. Here's my process. And so even the priests who approach the Lord, verse 22, must consecrate themselves or the Lord will break out against them. Verse 23, Moses said to the Lord, the people cannot come up to Mount Sinai because you yourself warned us, put limits around the mountain and set it apart as holy. The Lord replied down, go and bring Aaron up with you. But the priests and the people must not force their way to come up to the Lord or he will break out against them. I don't... There's so many ways you can translate that, but if, can you imagine if God ever said that? Joey, if you don't sit still, I will break out against you. Whatever you say, Lord. I don't even know what that means, but that's scary. But look at verse 25. So Moses went down to the people and told them. And I just want to point out to you, we're going to end, you know, as far as the, the study of this at that, at that verse, and we'll continue in 20 next week. But I just want to point out what's going on here. Moses is the go-between. Moses is the intercessor. Moses is the acting high priest, right? And, and Moses is going down, and initially he said, don't bring anybody up with you. But then he said, go down and grab this high priest, Aaron. Have him consecrate himself, which means have him prepare himself. Have him get ready. And this is actually one of two things that are happening right now. One, Moses is exemplifying a lot of what Jesus is going to do in the New Testament. He's going to leave the presence of the Lord, come down, warn us, and then grab us and bring us back. If you notice, there's two trips up the mountain, isn't there? Two trips. Did Jesus going to make two trips? He made one. He's going to make another one. Look at this. He, so Moses went down and told the people, did the Lord tell us one time what his job was? Yes, Jesus came down. Is he going to come down a second time and reiterate his warnings? Yes, if you know anything about the end times, he will. And there's something I just want to point out to you. You can kind of look at your covenant, this covenant. This word covenant is so strong. This relationship, this contract, this connection with God. What is it? Is it the Old Testament? Is it the laws of Moses? Yeah, that, but that's just a portion of it. You own another portion of it. I, I think about this all the time. You know the only thing that I bring to my relationship with Jesus Christ? I mean, just think about everything God brings. Just stop and think about everything he does for you. Do you know what I bring? 
obedience or disobedience. That's literally all I have. So obedience is your portion of the covenant that you own. So there is a portion that you own. I just think about my kids, and it's becoming so much more clear about my relationship. Now that I've had children, I go, you know what your portion of this relationship is? This happens a lot, multiple times throughout a day. I look my kids deep in the eyes as I'm standing like waist deep in Legos. Do you know what your portion of this covenant is? I provide the clothes. I provide the food. I pay the mortgage. You ain't got no job. Put those Legos away. That's the portion of your covenant. And then they overcomplicate it and go, but dad. And I think about that all the time, that this loving father has to put up with, but dad. And he's like, you understand how this works, right? I'm preparing you so that when you get to heaven, make no mistake, I am God and you are not. But the privilege is so high. The only thing you have to do is going back to the beginning of the chapter is listen and fully obey. And so if you want to know what you bring to the Lord, so if you're standing here in a worship song and you're refusing to worship, even though it's a commandment to worship, you are either bringing your obedience or your disobedience. If you're standing on the edge of a white lie, you are bringing either your disobedience or your obedience to the truth. I mean, just think about it. Every portion of your life is you at the crossroads if I believe God is worthy of my obedience. If you're standing at the Mount Sinai, I would say that you are. And that's why we have to embrace this because you think about this. God is love. Is he unconditional in his love? Yes. But do we want to know his love fully? There's a fullness. If you obey fully, if you operate in grace and fullness, let's think about this. Do you embrace the fullness of his love? My kids will always have my love, but do they operate in the fullness of that love? Not when I'm stepping on Legos. Not when I'm stepping on Legos. Do I love them the same? Absolutely. But do the privileges flow differently when they put everything away? And I know I'm trying to reduce it down to a basic thing, but I want you to understand what God is doing. Salvation is just the beginning. The deliverance is just the start. The preparation for heaven is everything. That's the in-between. And so when we come to church, we are not just passionate consumers. We don't just come here and be like, that made me feel good. I got dipped in the holy waters of the Bible, and now I can go spend the rest of the week getting dirty, and I can come back and get dipped again. That's a passionate consumer. No, we are a kingdom of priests, elevated higher than operating in the mire and the muck of death and the, and, and the dirt and the, of complaints and grumbling against God's good plan. We've been saved, and now we're approaching Mount Sinai not just with terrifying, just awe, but with joy. I want you to look at Hebrews 12. This is where Jesus takes us in a different place. This is where we differentiate from the Jews. If you want to turn there, that'd be fine, but I have it on the screen as well. Hebrews 12 would say this, mind you, this is the high priest Jesus Christ chapters here. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire to darkness and gloom and storm to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking the words who heard it beg that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. We're not in that place. We crave the Lord, right? If even an animal touches the mountain, it should be stoned to death. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. And that was the guy that was on the, pretty much the, on speaking terms with God. The one guy. And he's freaking out, right? 
Verse 22, but you have come to Mount Zion, which is just another word for, for, for actually the future Jerusalem, but Jerusalem, the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels and joyful assembly to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect. I'm going to say that to you one more time. To the spirits of the righteous made perfect. Made by who? God. Verse 24. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks better word than the blood of Abel. And even though Abel was innocent, and even though Abel gave right, you know, sacrifices before the Lord, it's nothing compared to having the passport of Jesus Christ's blood on you when you enter the pearly gates of heaven. Amen? Because in that moment, you could say with humble words, I do not deserve to be here, but by his righteousness robes that he has clothed me in, may I enter? The answer will be yes. Because of him making you perfect. And we can sit here and struggle in our relationship with God and go, God, I'm not good enough. Of course you're not good enough. That's why he went to the cross. That's why he had to go to Jerusalem and be the Mount Zion. We don't approach Sinai. We don't approach a loud voice. We don't approach smoke and fire. We approach a God that sought us down, hunted us with his love, captured us with his grace, and then raised us up in heaven, even in spite of ourselves. Because he loved us. But he has to remain holy, so he has to make you holy. So you have to ask yourself this question tonight. How will I become holy? I just want you to remind you of this. And if we could leave this up for a second. We can meet God in his holiness. And this is a comfort to us. Because Christ met us in the dirt. Remember, in the Old Testament, God stayed up high on the mountain away from everybody and don't come close. And yet in the New Testament and moving forward into the book of Revelation and into the beyond, what do we have? A Jesus Christ who went down in the sin, went down in the mire and lifted you up and cleansed you with his blood. That is the position that you have. You are the treasured possession of God. Who else would do that for you? Following up with that, now what's his plan for you? Now that you know that you've been saved, and now that you know how much he values you, where is he moving you? To a place of to be a kingdom priest. And what does that look like? It looks like Jesus Christ. So that you intercede on that way, and you have to ask yourself, do I prepare myself that way? Do I let the Lord lift me up on eagle's wings and move me to a place that is to himself? I didn't save you from Egypt just to leave you alone. I lifted you up to make you mine. And when Jesus looks at you and says, I have made you mine, I have sealed you in the Holy Spirit, and now you bear my name for my righteousness and my glory, how do you operate? How do you move? I'm telling you, you don't even have to really think about it. You're like, I'm just going to be a good boy. Do you know what? That sounds great. I'm just going to be good for the rest of my life. And it won't always work that way, but it will. I want to let you know something that Joshua Bell Yes, we're going to go back to that story. The violinist eventually made a call. Some people also bugged him and said, we, we missed you the first time, our mistake. <laughs> Would you come back? Seven years later, he returned to the same platform. And this time he was announced. People dressed differently and showed up. Some people even brought really nice tables with fine linens and candles and prepared the place and got ready to hear the beautiful music from a master, master craftsman, really, right? A master artist. So I want you to think about this. What does that look like inside of my heart? 
If you think about everything that's going on in your life, even if you're a victim, even if you're suffering, even if you're angry, even if you have things you have to work through, just think about this. God is going to enter into my heart and sit on a throne. What kind of preparations will you make? How will you dress? How will you act? How will you prepare? What will you clean? What will you get rid of? I want to remind you, the Bible just made it very, very, very clear through chapter 19 what we're supposed to do. If you could put up this last slide. Your job is to be holy, not perfect, not 100% like Jesus because that's unobtainable because God is unapproachable. But what you can do is prepare. This is the portion you own. You need to prepare. You need to obey. And then you need to rest as God makes you holy. The first two seem a lot like a lot of our work, doesn't it? Until you realize that the last one tells you only God can make you holy. But what you can do is prepare for him. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, you've given us such a great commandment that you are not far away, that you're involved in our life. And just like these Israelis that are standing at the foot of a mountain and saying, we'll do everything you say. A couple chapters later, they're already building a golden calf, and yet you didn't abandon them. You don't abandon us. We have access to you, but we don't deserve that access to you. We can only connect to you through Jesus Christ. So Lord, I'm just gonna pray right now. I hope everybody's praying with me. Lord, forgive us of our sins. Lord, forgive me of my fear and my doubt. Lord, let me just say this right now. Lord, you are Messiah and you are worthy to be praised. I don't deserve to enter into your throne room, but Lord, if you wanna clothe me in your righteousness, but by your precious promise and your word, you said you would, that I am cleansed today and I can enter boldly into that throne room, but not first without humility of saying, I need you. Lord, be in my life. I'm going to pray for people that are not in this room, and there's people right now that we would just pray. We hope one day that they walk through this door. There's people in our heart right now that we know that if they could just connect to Jesus Christ, Lord, I pray for them right now. Connect to them, hunt them down. If you would leave the 99 and go find the one, Lord, be the high priest that goes, hunts them down, and captures them with your grace. And Lord, I just want to pray right now, we are your church. We might not always be perfect and we might not always be there, but Lord, we know you are and you are faithful and you are committed and so we cling to your faithfulness. Let it become our faithfulness. Lord, let your righteousness become our righteousness and let us rest in that. In Jesus' holy name, amen. 